For decades, it was a tradition built in rock. Wow. It's the celebration what up, what up, what up? of humanity. Oh, my God, it's amazing. The best. best. It sets you free, and when you dance to it, it gets you moving. The radio <laughs> had to offer. I think, uh, you know, it got to the point where people wanted real music from real people and real songs from real people. Real people. Somewhere along the way, it became just another casualty of financial restraint. And let's be honest, honest, apathy. Now, now, let's do it. Here we go. Let's go. The Mojo Radio Show is bringing it back. To Rocktober 2019. A 31-day celebration of all things Mojo. From the boardroom to the bedroom. This is Ryan Fox. This is Cal Newport. This is Tate Blood. Hi, this is Ivor Davies from iFound. And it's Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Plus, all the trimmings you'd expect from the rockingest month on the calendar. Stand by. Rocktober starts now. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show, and welcome to Rocktober 2019. This is by far the biggest month of the year for us. You're probably wondering, well, what is Rocktober? If I take you back, back in the day, traditionally rock radio stations around the world would take the month of October and turn it into Rocktober for 31 days, completely shaking up their format. And it'd have different Rocktober features and they would redo their production, their sound, they'd do big giveaways, they'd do live gigs and all that sort of stuff. And all the old school stuff that works, (laughs) that is untraditional, bit different, unpredictable, it gets shelved. And globally, Rocktober got shelved. And it wasn't until we'd spent some time in the studio, perhaps season two or three, we went, well, why the heck don't we bring it back? So the Mojo Radio Show, at no expense to the management, four years ago, brought back Rocktober. For us, what's it about? It's about great guests, great music. Uh, Robbo's going to dig out some acoustic sets from back in the day. We've got swag for you. We're going to cover off our favourite movies with a bit of movie mojo to get your mojo working. And it's I think this show's probably going to be longer form because there was so much stuff we wanted to get into it. And because of that, the show will probably run longer than normal, but I think it will sound epic. That has all to do with this man sitting behind the panel. Uh, are you set for October? I am set for October. You know, the best way I think to explain the length of the show is probably a bit like three months out from Christmas. Think about trying to stuff everything into your Christmas stockings. We're trying to get every little bit of goodness we can into each show, right? We are. And just to start us out, I'm going to say a quick thank you to all our Patreon supporters who basically have got us to where we are today. We had Jim, Jimster, the Jiminator, 
The Geminator. Jimton. The Geminator. <laughs> He's come on board. And uh, he met me in Adelaide a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking. He got onto the show. He loves it. It's getting enormous value. So the Jimster has come on to it. And also Mike, who is the author of The Asking Leader. He's an author and a coaching mentor of CEOs. I'll put a link to his book in the show notes. He's come on board. And get this, is a guy called Wade from Lake Como in Italy. And I looked this guy up on LinkedIn. I swear to God, he looks like George Clooney. So I don't know if it is George Clooney. <laughs> Was he drinking Nespresso? <laughs> We're on a mission from God. This week's guest may not be on a mission from God, but he is certainly on a mission, and his name is Evan Hafer. If you are a regular on the show, you'll remember a few weeks back we interviewed Matt Best, and during that show we talked about his business partner, Evan Hafer. They're partners at a company that's seen extraordinary growth since, get this, since 2015. They've got a company now worth $50 million and they're processing 1 million tons of coffee beans a year. And that company is Black Rifle Coffee Company and Matt and Evan are the co-founders. Evan himself is a former Green Beret, which is the US Army Special Forces. He's done multiple combat tours and this is a guy who fits in well with our show, doesn't he? Loves his coffee. Perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) And his mission is to help veterans. Now, he started Black Rifle Coffee back in the day simply to supply a premium roast-to-order coffee to the working man. That's us. He wanted to gig a job that merged his true passions, which was a love for his country, the love for his community and his family, and his love for great coffee. So along with Matt and the guys at Black Rifle Coffee, they want to hire 10,000 US veterans. So that's the mission. With all that being said, Evan, it's a great honor to welcome you to Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Mate, you are opening a big month for us. So welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I didn't realize there was 10 minutes between here and Australia, which I thought was interesting. That's called yeah. the Burt Whistle difference. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Come on, let's yeah. go. Let's get this done. If you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. Is that because of the flat earth? Because I think that's yes. what it is, right? That's what it is. It's you're right. Yeah. It's that flat earth <laughs> yeah. principle. It's, um, it takes a little bit longer because it can't go around the earth. It's actually got to go around the circumference of the earth. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it's more intense towards the end in a flat earth. So you guys are towards the end. <laughs> that's it. We're at the bottom. That, well, that is true. And we are down under. Yeah. Right. Evan, when you meet somebody for the first time <clears throat> and they say to you, What do you do? How do you like to reply? I tell them that I'm a dirty caffeine salesman. You use the term vetrepreneur. Is that you? Uh, I don't use the term vetrepreneur very often. Um, I have in the past. I think these days I just classify myself as an entrepreneur that was a veteran, Um, you know, mainly because I think the term entrepreneur is is synonymous in some cases for just not having a job. You know, like there's a lot of quote entrepreneurs out there that are like just using that as an excuse is like, well, I don't have a job, so I'm an entrepreneur. So I think in some cases combining the word entrepreneur and veteran is it devalues uh it devalues uh, I think 
veteran as a as a word. So I've kind of relaxed on on using the term veteranpreneur or vet vetpreneur. It's fair to say Black Rifle Coffee has been a great success story since you started, and I'll get to that in a second. And it's obvious that in a very crowded market of caffeine, you guys have been able to stand out. And they talk about marketing and brand as being you have to have your own point of difference. As a guy who's in amongst it every day, what, why, why should I drink it? What, what is the actual point of difference for Black Rifle Coffee? Well, <clears throat> I think that's several-fold, and you can kind of rank them in priority based on the individual. But the, there, there's the value proposition of the, the, the actual coffee itself, which is we, we select a higher-grade coffee than 90-plus percentage of the people out there. Uh, we roast it to a spec that's, uh, I think, above par than another 90%. And we deliver it to our customers within a time frame that allows it to maintain its, its optimal uh, taste profile. When I say that, you get about three weeks to a month out of a coffee after it's roasted where you can drink it and it's still at what I would call peak or just below peak flavor profile. So... When I look at coffee, I look at tightening up my logistics chain, selecting high-quality green beans from all over the world, obviously in coffee-growing regions, uh, you know, importing a high-quality coffee, roasting it to a high spec, uh, you know, maintaining a high-level of quality control, and then delivering it to my customer within a time frame they can enjoy it, that it's still fresh and it still speaks to the quality of, of the product. So you have the, the, the value proposition itself. And when I say we're roasting and delivering coffee at a tighter turn and a higher level of freshness than I would say most coffee companies out there, but we're also doing it at a lower cost. So most people from in my market, which would be small batch roasters, their coffee's really expensive, might take you a week or two to get it, you know. These are artists, right? A lot of these guys are artists and, you know, they, they're, they're really into their craft, which I can love and appreciate, but they're less into the customer than they are their actual craft. And that's fine. I just, I like to deliver a really high value, excuse me, a high value item to my customer, but that's only part of it, right? So you have the, the product value. So the highest quality product at the best price, that's one. And then two, when I say I like to deliver uh, information, inspiration, and humor to my customer through content. So what I tell people is we serve coffee and culture to people that love America. And when we extend that, it's really just American ideals of you know, freedom. So I am talking to you know an Australian radio. So I, I do have to say that you know for us when when we serve coffee and culture, it's really there's this value proposition along the entire customer experience. So it starts with people consuming our content and how we engage with our customer on the level of this is who we are in some of our 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 videos, we're telling people this is about the company, you know, why you should support it because it's a high value to them as coffee consumers. Two, I'm trying to create value as 
far as making people laugh or giving them some information they can take away free of charge through content. And I think three, it's running a company in a way that their customers can be proud and say, you know, what differentiates us? Well, we, you know, we're 40% of the employees here are, are veterans. It's veteran owned, it's veteran operated. So we're, we're serving the subculture, we're serving our community in multiple layers all through the customer experience. The entire time, we're curating great, incredible content, we're curating an incredible coffee, serving it to people, we're building an ecosystem that's built around service, service back to our country, and then we're also taking care of people. So if there's a problem, we take care of you in the sense of, you don't like it? Great. Send it back. We'll give you a new one. What I really admire about you guys, and I spoke to your buddy, Matt Best, he'll talk about the second, uh, about this as well. And something which I think is so profound that I've been sharing with audiences here in Australia who also find it very profound is the fact that it's not it's not just the product and the service, but you've got this message that is so well delivered that sits alongside that. People talk about having a mission for the company and they talk about having a purpose for the company, but pretty much that sits in the front of a business plan and never really gets executed and never really gets brought to life. But you used a term called mission plan. How do you execute your mission plan at Black Rifle Coffee Company? Oh, man, you're giving me softball here. Jeez. I, um, I, (laughs) (laughs) that's funny. His game's darts. I don't know anything other in my life. Like my entire adult life, everything that I did in my profession flowed from my mission statement. Everything. So when you have to accomplish your mission, you have to look at it and you say, okay, this is my mission. This is what I have to accomplish. So we will do this by this time. This is the success criteria. Pretty easy. The who, what, when, where, why, what we're doing. So I don't know anything else. I have to I have to write the mission plan, and I wrote individual mission plans and company mission uh, statements. And then from there, I drew plans from my mission statements. And then those continue to direct the company every day. I, I literally had a conversation yesterday about mission planning with, uh, with my executive operations guy. How closely aligned... Because there was a time where you said when you got out of military service, you sat down and you wrote yourself your personal mission statement. How closely aligned is your own personal mission against the company mission? And how often do you sit quietly and review your own mission and the company mission and where that alignment is? Oh, wow. Um you know, my individual mission that I wrote uh, several years ago, which was to successful transition out of uh, government service and to live a happy and fulfilling life. Um, that's when I say that's a fairly simple statement that's fairly complex to execute. Um, and you know, one you you really have to make a full transition away from from government service, uh, which there's you know the, there's the the actual the the transaction, which is more paperwork, but then there's a the psychological and physical aspects of leaving one tribe and moving to another, right? Which is fairly significant and difficult. 
Um, you have to really kind of define what happiness is. And I don't know, a lot of, a lot of people might not necessarily know what happiness truly is. They know what instant gratification is. They know what it is to laugh, but do they know what it is to be intrinsically happy? When I say that, um, it's a, it's a 360 evaluation of your entire self. So you can't just say I'm happy today. Like happiness is built over the course of sometimes a lifetime, but it takes months, you know, years. It's years and and it's, you know, every second, every minute we have these opportunities to, to kind of infuse a positive psychology or infuse a negative psychology. And you have to have this mentality of continuing to choose positive over negative. You have to be hyper selective as to what you're reinforcing within your entire life at, at, at all aspects. And happiness is not instant gratification. That's actually a road to negativity and ultimately depression, right? Happiness and fulfillment are tied for me together, which is how do you have a strong relationship with your spouse or your significant other? How do you have a strong relationship with your children? I have, I have both a spouse and children. So, you know, it starts with the individual, then it translates to the next closest people in your life. How You're reinforcing the same aspects within their lives and kind of providing them happiness, not necessarily providing you happiness. So that's how I derive uh, not only happiness, but fulfillment by trying to provide value in their lives versus just taking in my life. So then that goes into my business. And from my business, uh, it's the continuation of that same effect, which is how do we create a, a positive psychology within our ecosystem? Because I've had this saying for over a decade now, which is psychology is, is more contagious than the flu. So if you're not trying to come in and create a positive environment every day. Uh, and when I say that, you're going to have your off days, right? <laughs> you're going to have your off days. Uh, but you have to have more good days than you do bad. And the way that's, that's possible is just by reinforcing these decisions in those seconds, those minutes, those hours that I was talking about, looking at the months and the years and it's a coordinated and executed decision every time you're faced with a decision to reinforce the things that will ultimately yield you a positive result. So we've all heard this term ROI in business. You know, what is the ROI of me being an asshole? It's just negativity. And all that does is just infect the rest of the company with negativity. So um, I think that it's a constant state of valuation in the sense of we have to value your life and where you you put a price on that when i say that it's not just money right so how how am i living my life am i living up to my own individual expectations am i meeting my own goals am i exceeding my goals um that's a constant evaluation i i could i could not function if I only sat and did this like once a week or something and look at this. I look at it almost every day in a perpetual in a perpetual state. It's interesting, Evan, there's a lot of love about the company and a lot of organizations you see have a mission. And it's good. And there's there's that saying that 
success is not measured on the sunny days. It's measured on the dark and stormy days. And the the thing with Black Rifle Coffee that I've really admired, and I spoke to Matt about this on the line, and then I heard you say that you'll you'll change tactics, but you'd never quit the mission. Yet for a lot of organisations, they have a nice statement, which mostly nobody can remember, but they have a nice statement. And as soon as things go pear-shaped, revenue's down, or the market gets hard, they lose a customer, everything goes out the door, and now it's just back to revenue. So how how do you execute that within Black Rifle Coffee when you said you'll change tactics, but you'll never quit the mission? How do you navigate that? Yeah, I think that that's pretty easy. You know, tactics, you can change like your underwear, right? Like that's um, that's fairly easy. Uh, and the way that you you have to define your your mission and then your mission success criteria so they're always something that you can shoot for and when i say that like when i say my mission is to provide coffee and culture to people who love america uh, i don't ever have to change that I, I i really don't now if i stop serving coffee then I would be taking away the core competency of the company and ultimately I'd have to change the name, right? So that's a pivot. Um, but I'm always going to serve coffee as long as it says Black Rifle Coffee on the door. Uh, and the only thing that would take that away is if we had to pivot outside of our our current core offering. But then when we, when we say culture, uh, really we're talking about content and inspiration so how we lead the company how do we you know how do we film edit and release content what types of content there are those are two things that i think are core competencies of the company and if i quit roasting coffee tomorrow uh i'm still going to make content and if i stop making content tomorrow i'm still going to make coffee and if i stop doing both that means i'm probably dead so that's that's kind of where i define that and big pivots in companies are when they've made their mission criteria or their statement too specific and not general enough. And then you have to have your, your key success criteria, and then you have to have goals and initiatives that, continue, that you can continue to benchmark against how you're doing in accomplishing your mission. You said in the CIA there were mission-first guys – and there were me first guys, and then there were some in between. Is that part of your recruitment process is to establish whether you have a guy or girl in front of you who's a mission first or a me first? Yeah, I think you just get used to identifying who those people are. And after a few decades of identifying, you know, me's versus missions, you know, that's that's where you start to get into your your company culture, you start to see who people are, how they're primarily motivated. Uh, you know, if they're individually motivated and they're me's, they're going to step on people in order to get ahead. They're not going to play as a team unless it directly benefits them. They're going to continue to take credit for the things that they haven't done. Like that's just kind of a, a corrupting entity within a company. Now you can still achieve your mission success criteria, right? Because a lot of corporations have those types of people in them, individually motivated, and they're motivated to drive profit. And then profit, ultimately, depending on how the company is structured, they'll continue to be rewarded. 
that's great. But, you know, I look at this as this is a long endeavor, right? And, you know, if I were to go out and climb in the Himalayas tomorrow, it wouldn't be about bagging the peaks for me. It would be a lot about the entire experience and then who I was with. And if you sit on the top of a 29,000-foot mountain, it looks the same as the one that's 28,500, actually. The only difference is, is you might have bragging rights, but the real difference is, is the route that you took to get there, who was with you, and if you enjoyed what you were doing. And I think for me, when I look at this business, you know, we'll go to 29,000 feet. The view's the same. It's who are you doing it with that matters. I've listened to a lot of hours of interviews with you, the work you're doing, the stuff you put out on socials. I did the same thing for Matt Best. And what's interesting is that you, in everything you do, everything for you and for for Matt, you openly talk about and promote the mission. When I spoke to Matt towards the end of the interview, he said, when you outwardly promote your mission as much as you do inwardly, you find you attract the best people. And what was really curious about that is that very, very few companies use their mission as a platform. Like very few companies, if you go through consistently all the messaging they're putting out from the company very rarely would have anything to do with their mission. Was that an actual strategy or was that just something that was a standard operating procedure for you guys and you just did it because it was innate? Yeah, we just did it because it was innate. There wasn't really a strategy. You know, I like to operate in, um, I like to operate with a lot of transparency and, you know, I'm, I'm different, you know, I'm probably not, <clears throat> I'm probably not what you would call, um, a good CEO from like a corporate, you know, public shareholder type perspective. Um, <laughs> because I, 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 I want to be able to tell people exactly who we are and what, you know, not only about the product that we're selling, but who the people are within the company. And you know, we have great people and we're good people in the sense of, you know, myself and Matt and, you know, Jared and, and the people that are directly associated and work for the company, we recruit good people. And it's not just about the profit. It's, it's, it's about our customers more than it is about the profit. You know, we make decisions every week, every day, every month, every quarter, um, and that directly take away from our profit on a regular basis so we can do the hard right over the easy wrong. So we can give back to the community. And it's not just in charitable work. It's, you know, who are we promoting? Who are we giving opportunities to? How are we spending our time? How are we spending our, our executive time? It's, it's, it's not just about our P&L. And that becomes so, you know, ex- excuse my language, so effing boring like uh, we can drive a a positive balance and we can we can suck more profit out of this company like any day of the week not based on inefficiencies but kind of what we do in the community and we can continue to promote that and talk about it within the communities and then use that as an advertising or pr platform we could do that all day long but it also takes away from the value of actually just doing it right it's like 
this is who we are. This is what we do. If you want to buy our product and support the company's mission, support the people that work here, I, fantastic. But you don't need to have it back folded back into your face every day as to how great we are and how much we do for the community. That, that just seems a little bit disingenuous too after a while. You know, actions just speak louder than words, and I'll let the community decide whether or not we're a good company or not. Just on that, you used the word doing and action. I just want to camp there for a second. Something I heard you say is that you wanted to create a company culture where civilians had to adapt to a military style of operation and not veterans having to adapt to a civilian's business environment, which is very counter to traditional thinking. How have civilians who join the company with 40 or 50% vets, very strong mission, strong operating procedures based on what you guys have learned through years on the front lines, how, how, how do you see generally civilians, how do they feel about fitting in? What are your observations of that? You know, it's, it's, it's different, right? And it's different for everyone. I, I don't know if it's necessarily a general statement that we can kind of capture that. I think most of the civilians that come to work here have a profound amount of respect for the veteran community. And when they come in, there's a, a transition point <laughs> where they're, they're getting used to the entire environment where it's a little bit more relaxed of a grooming or no, I shouldn't say grooming atmosphere. It's relaxed. Like we wear t-shirts and jeans and a lot of guys, people bring their dogs to work depending on where they're at. Uh, it's definitely more casual than most work environments. And the, I think the, in every company, there's always a different culture. I think the thing that they're always a little bit, um, <laughs> they're a little bit shocked is the, the lack of corporate culture that's here. It's just kind of, you know, no BS. Let's just get to the point. Let's get this done. Uh, it's, it's a, it, it's, we say is it's, uh, there's a lot of transparency here and, and, I don't like people to beat around the bush or, you know, pontificate or try to be political within the company. So there's a lot of people that try to just get straight to the brass tacks and start executing on things. And I think that takes people a little bit, it takes them a little bit of of time to get used to. I love that word pontificate. Good word. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) And coffee. That's another good word. Um, And coffee. And and the other thing about the voodoo sound culture too is working in your pajamas so that you're ready for nap time at lunchtime. Casual. Yeah, casual. Yeah, casual. Pontificate about nap time in your pajamas. (laughs) Hey, now you're switched on. There you got it. That's the voodoo. There's the new voodoo sound mission statement. (laughs) (laughs) That's going on the wall. Evan, candor is something I've heard you talk about. Candor in a conversation, radical candor, you say, I don't know why it's this big trend. You've always done that. That seems to be part of the culture that you and Matt and Jared bring to the table. That seems to be a big part of what you do as an underlying thing is to have that radical candor where you can talk to each other openly and honestly. Well, I I think that that's always been an issue. You know, when you work for the government, 
Um, in a lot of cases, there's just a lot of political correctness and people in all companies and all environments I've ever been associated with, people have a really tough time just saying what it is that they're thinking. You know, I'm thinking this. They just, man, get out with it. Like, just, you know, get it off. Like, let's let's go get it off your chest. And that's always been very offensive to me uh, when I say that. It's it's I'm not smart enough to try to just, you know, sift through what somebody's talking about to try to get to their real point. And it's super frustrating and it ultimately just takes way more time. And I think in business, you really just don't have the time to, you know, placate different aspects uh, of your company and different people uh, to what I say, grind sausage. You know, we have to get in, get the information, get out and get back to work. And I think people are ultimately happier um, because the people that like to work, that's what they want to be doing. The people that like to talk, that's what they want to be doing. So uh, you just, you have to create that environment where people love to work, drive to the point and get back to business. Um, when I say, you know, radical transparency or radical candor, it's really just about accepting people's style of communication. So in this bud words, in this, in this world of where everybody's triggered, you know, for everything, you know, anything and everything. I just don't think there's a lot of room for that in business. I think you have to accept that people communicate differently. Um, and I think that you have to be open to listening and then creating a dialogue and communicating on a combination of levels. But that takes a fairly sophisticated human. I'm just going to take an off-ramp here. So, Rob, I put on the indicator of the big red bus. We're just going to take a little off-ramp here just for a second. You... Evan, you, you had a, a grandfather who was a World War II hero and was actually awarded a Silver Star, if I'm correct. And you said that he was an inspiration to you. When you think about your granddad, what, what do you draw inspiration from? Uh, well, it was, a, it was a Bronze Star and then a, uh, an, an, an Air Medal, which is, I think, in the Air Force. It's like one of the second highest awards. Um, but... Uh, you know, the things I liked about my grandfather, uh, were, he was, he was a very, he was a very funny guy and he was fun. He was funny, but he was also very, you know, get it done guy. So he had a wide variety of skills. He was leaned on by his entire community by, you know, with a, with a wide variety of skills, whether it was like he was the grave digger. He was the town judge. He was, <laughs> you know, he was like the TV repairman. He, he had, he, he, he could do everything. And he, he really enjoyed uh, being around people and solving complex problems. Um, so I think that that's one of those things where I saw that firsthand that, you know, here's my grandfather that, had had done some incredible things during World War II, but he was also always lifting people up and uh, making people laugh versus 
you know, bringing people down. And he was always creating value in other people's lives. He was always doing something for them, uh, whether he was fixing something for them or, you know, um, making people laugh. He was very, he was very much respected by his community. I think, you know, he had a town of 800 and when he died, uh, almost everyone in town came to his funeral. They, they held his funeral at the, the, uh, community building and there wasn't enough room in the community building to hold the people that were there at his funeral. Uh, so I've always kind of looked at that as an inspiration where if you just create value in people's lives, it doesn't mean that you have to be altruistic in your endeavor and can, and just commit yourself to other people because, you know, there are people out there like myself that are growing businesses and creating jobs, but you, you do have to at least enter in and create some type of positive impact across the board versus just taking, taking. There are takers and there are givers, right? And I think if you bucket those two people, he was definitely a giver. And uh, he didn't really take a lot. He didn't really take a lot from anybody. He just made. If I could recreate a Thanksgiving dinner and you, your family there, the kids, and your granddad's going to be there, and we finish dinner and you find a quiet moment to escape from the noise. You sit somewhere in the wilderness with your granddad after dinner. If you had a quiet moment to ask him a question, what would you want to know? Um, that's interesting. I would want to know how he coped with his time in service because uh, he lived a very happy and fulfilling mm. life. I, I never got to talk to him about that. And, but he obviously had a couple things figured out and I would love to be able to ask him, you know, what, what were the keys to success on that end? You know, he wasn't abusive. He wasn't an alcoholic. He wasn't, he was just a very, you know, fun loving you know, happy giving person. And when you, when you look at that, when you look at what he had actually gone through, uh, it would be just interesting to, to, to hear his perspective and how he transitioned to transitioned out and then kind of put that behind him or how he didn't quite put it behind him. I don't know. Yeah. It's funny when you, when you understand somebody's backstory, and then you look at the backstory of those that had influence on them. I always, think, I always find this very profound for parents to hear because when you say your granddad was a grave digger, the TV repair guy, he was probably the, the go-to person to get stuff done or, or for people to get, some, get a hand with something. Yeah. Yet having heard that and the inspiration you draw from your granddad, if I layer that across Evan – there were times where you have said you would do 24 hours or more straight at Black Rifle Coffee. You were doing the marketing, taking calls, doing customer service, packing bags, roasting, tasting, experimenting. You were doing the lot. 
Do you do, did you think you consciously drew something from your granddad at that time, Evan? Because that's very interesting. You could layer those two things very closely upon themselves. Uh, not consciously. I think subconsciously I did uh, because it would be it would be impossible for me not to be greatly affected by uh, by him because I spent a lot of time with him and. Uh, but it was as a younger man, and then that kind of that that kind of drew me into my profession, and then how you kind of layer on, you know, your professional mentors, your family, you know, your individual motivations and things like that. By the time you get to be where I was, you know, thirty-seven years old, it, I wouldn't say he was at the forefront of my mind. He was more very, very. Uh, deeply seated in my subconscious. You, as a kid, you spent a lot of time in the wilderness and you said that it was in the the backwoods of Northern Idaho where you had the moment that you decided that you wanted to serve. What does the wilderness give you? Is that, is that where you go to today for your thinking time, Evan? Like, because you, you do talk about the wilderness a lot in going there. You talk about going to the river. Is that your downtime, thinking time, pondering time for you as a leader or as you as a person, as a man? I think it's more as a man. I think what it allows me to do is, is it, is it chops away the, a lot of the white noise. You know, I have a true belief in, I think, you know, we've got a, 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 a few billion years on the, on, as far as like, you know, how old the planet is and kind of the evolutionary circumstance in which we're in, you know, we as, as humans, uh, I, I, I don't think we're, we're naturally inclined to spend the majority of our time sitting in chairs under artificial light and looking at, at screens. I just don't think that that's natural. And, uh, I think that, through modern convenience, we've we've kind of disassociated uh, certain aspects of our humanity, and uh, when when I plug in to the river or to the the wilderness, it's it's really just to gain perspective as an individual as to how to properly prioritize meaning, um, and. You know, it, it, it's fairly easy. It, it just kind of strips away the complexities of modern life and puts you into a frame of mind where you can you can more appropriately uh, uh, prioritize your own individual goals against uh, what I feel is like really being human. And um, and most of the time, that's uh, uh, you know drawing love and appreciation from very small things. And, uh, we just have everything at our immediate disposal, right? It's, you know, this is, you know, we can Google any word we can, you know, we can drive through and grab any, anything we want as far as food, uh, you know, our, 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 our cars are AC or buildings are have AC and heat, like everything, is brought down to ultimately creating some type of box where you're not really feeling your environment and you're kind of plugged into at times an artificial circumstance. 
but when you're out in your elements, you can you feel the cold, you feel the heat, you're uncomfortable at times. You you know you can't eat when you want to eat. And there, you get to reconnect with what it is to be human and, and kind of rank your priorities a little bit more appropriately. I have to have that at least um, every couple months at least. What I love about these shows is you can go a bit long form and you can understand not only the success people have had on the sunny days, but it always hasn't been sunny for you. And you, and there was a piece that I saw that uh, was a quote from you, Evan. It said, I really struggled when I returned. I left the government by burning bridges behind me to light my way. My wife and I had just had our first daughter and my home was destroyed in a flood. I didn't have any tangible skills other than my ability to think and not quit. Only, this is not long ago, this is only four odd years ago, you poured your last $1,800 into a company to make some coffee. And then, as I understand it, you went years without even paying yourself. But the comment you used was, I was chips in. And I love that saying, I was completely chips in. In fact, I heard Matt say the same thing on the show. It's just interesting. You seem to have this dogged, do not quit determination. The chips in, tell me about that time and what it was like for you. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I think, you know, wow, it's a, it's a fairly complex question, but, uh, you know, I, as I look back, there's a lot of different emotions that kind of were moving through me at, at one time. And, you know, your back is kind of against the wall. You know, I found myself uh, really kind of saying, if I don't make a success out of myself at this point, then everything I've done in my life up to this point is for nothing. And, um, and really what I, what, what kind of a lot of the ideas and thoughts and emotions that were circulating around were, um, you know, I've been carrying a rifle for a living. I've been, uh, living and working in combat zones, uh, for, you know, decade plus in my life. You know, I was a green beret. I, I worked for the CIA. So I'd gone through all these selection processes, you know, I was what I felt was a fairly proficient uh, commando and a fairly proficient uh, CIA guy. And uh, I needed to make a transition, and I didn't really have the ability to um, to if I would have given up, you know, if I would have not only given up, but if I wouldn't have pursued it with everything that I had, I would feel like I didn't, I didn't really try. And I'd always pride, I always had prided myself on, you know, working harder than everybody around me. Like, you know, I'm five, seven, I weighed 140 pounds when I went to selection. You know, there were guys that were, you know, five, 10, six foot. Uh, but my, my goal was to, you know, 
be more physically prepared for, than them. My goal was to run faster, you know, ruck. When I say that, you know, you guys know what a rucksack is because I think the British came up with the term, you know, ruck, ruck more weight, run faster, you know, do obstacle courses faster, shoot better, plan, plan better. Everything was about making sure that I was in the top 1%, if not the top. And I'd spent my life in belief that I was in that top 1%. And when you find yourself without any options and without any tangible skills and with the desire to do something else, sometimes a forced requirement to do something else in my circumstance, um, you have to make some big decisions and have some real complex conversations with yourself, which is I had a conversation in my garage with myself when I was like sitting on my Pelican case full of gear that I'd been deploying with for most of my adult life. And I was, I was crying literally like I was crying in my garage because I just didn't feel like I had options and uh, I kind of picked myself up and I had a long conversation with myself with the, the garage shut. And I said, if you don't just dedicate everything you have to this, you will always spend your life thinking, what if, right? And the what if would have driven me more, more crazy than the failing and knowing that I, I had done everything within my power to succeed. But I knew I still had things left. I looked around and I was like, I'm going to sell everything I own. So at that point, I literally was like, I'm going to sell everything I own. Uh, I'm going to make really substantial changes in my entire life. So I went through everything I know. I was like, as long as there's still something to sell, <laughs> I haven't done enough, right? As long as there's still a minute in the day, I haven't done enough. As long as I haven't, you know, professionally developed or sought out the advice, like if I'm not making phone calls or, you know, building a skill that directly contributes to my business or selling something that can directly contribute to my business, I have not done enough. And uh, I wasn't. I wasn't homeless yet. So, you know, I was, I was still, still at a home, still had a few things to sell. And I think when you go chips in the chips in mentality is it's all on the table and you have to be able to sacrifice literally everything in your life, except for obviously the love of your family. And I have a very loving wife, very, very committed to my children, very committed to my family. So I had everything I needed, you know, at the end of the day, there's always another option. You just have to think through and develop courses of action. And if you get to the point where you've exhausted every course of action, every resource you have, you've called every person, you know, for advice. Well, okay, man, you know, but I hadn't gotten to that point. I hadn't sold everything I own and called everybody that I, that I knew for advice. So there, there's always a little bit left. I have actually, 
I have three tactical pouches. They're like pouches that I use downrange. They're camouflage pouches, and they're mounted above my desk in my office. And those are the last three camouflage pouches that I had in my kit. And I had sold every other pouch, every other piece of camo, every other piece of military gear to the point of which the last three that I had are framed and they're put on my wall. As a reminder, I can always break the glass. Wow, that's a good that's that, that's that's camo gold. That's that's a great story, mate. That, that's very similar to the three Tim Tams we have mounted in the studio here. The three Dosekis. Three Dosekis. Yeah. Unopened Dosekis. They're that. Yeah. You know, we always know there's three more in the fridge. Yeah. They're our go-to. <laughs> three more in the fridge. <laughs> Before, look, we're very respectful of your time. This has been absolutely gold. Evan, um, I did have a listener question because uh, we mentioned the show we're going to be talking to you. A listener wrote in to say, sure. it seems that JT ran the company for the first 20 years. How does it feel now that you've taken over? And that came from Jared from Texas. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I think that's just based on what how he looks. <laughs> I think he just looks like he ran the company. Um I think he's aged differently than the rest of us, obviously. Um, no, man, I think that just Jared, Jared's like the most, um, he's the most creative person I know. Like hands down, he's the most creative person I know. Um, and he's such a unique individual that I truly love and admire for all his strengths. Uh, but I'm an organizational and, 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 and data guy. Like I, I like those two things. And, um, I was the, I was, I was kind of the guy that was more behind the scenes. Um, I, I ran the company from behind the scenes more in the first couple of years because that's all I could do. Um, and I would plug in on it on the content hit and miss because I was the guy doing it, doing the stuff in the background, which as I'm sure most of your listeners know, you know, those are some hard miles. It's funny that um, having had Matt on the show and Jared was in the background, I think there are about four whiskeys in towards the end of the interview. So it got colorful, which was, <laughs> was awesome. a few more than that. <laughs> <laughs> but something I heard you say, and we've mentioned Matt, Jared, Evan as the guys, and you get What's interesting is you, you, you have that profile at the front of the company, founders, co-founders, but then when I look at Black Rifle Coffee, a lot of the identity you guys have, it is the team in their, in their, in their casual gear in the factory doing the roasting. A comment you made, which I found fascinating, you said it's a company that is owned by the veteran community. So although we know the guys that, sort of run it. We know the guys who are the figureheads. Yes. However, you, in your own heart, you believe that it's owned by the veteran community. That's a very powerful way to center an organization and its leadership on what really is important and ultimately the mission. Yeah. I think that that's, I mean, I think, you know, it's one of those things I haven't really given a lot of thought to other than this is the way that I feel. Right. And uh, I think that when you're running a company and you're growing a company uh, of this size, 
and the way that we look at things is we're very team oriented. Like, and that's the very that's a that's a big difference between us and other companies. Is yeah, my title is founder. I founded it, and you know, Matt and Jared came in about a year and some change later, and I've been the you know the CEO founder. And that's something I'm I'm very proud of because I'm proud of the the work that we've been able to accomplish. Uh, but it's a team, and so one of the things that we made clear a, a few months ago was you know guys were differentiating me as the the actual founder. You know, like hey, you're the founder. I'm like I don't I don't care, you guys. Like you guys were just as much a founding entity in this company as is. I feel you are. Uh, so like, why don't we just all have that title? I don't care. Um, I try not to get too wrapped up in the ego of these things because there's a lot of guys and there's so many, you know, entrepreneurs and kind of, you know, public speaker, influencer guys out there talking about, you know, culture and all of these things and they've never actually run a company. So, um, for me, I just try to really focus everything on team because I couldn't have accomplished any of this without without a team. There's just nothing I could have done without my wife doing what she was doing for us in the household, without my business partners doing what they were doing. Like It would have been impossible for just Evan Hafer to do this. And people get so wrapped up and consumed in titles and taking credit for things that they lose sight of the actual accomplishment. And for me, we have to be really good stewards of the business. And we always have to lead by example, in the sense of we have a subculture and a responsibility to our communities. And I want to say communities, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, the general community, the veteran community, to run an ethically responsible company that has a mission that can exemplify service transition and business all the way around. And if we're not focused on that, and if we're only focused on, you know, creating notoriety for ourselves, that's not an environment that I think promotes uh, transition, the veteran community, or even ethics and business in a way that I'm comfortable with. So when I make those statements, it's not because I've really thought about them, you know, it's because, oh, I, that's the way I feel. So I'll just answer the question. You know what I mean? Just one final thing. And this is a, I guess something when I, when I look at how you guys are doing what you do, I'm curious to see whether there is any strategy behind it. Now, let me set this up. The military is where today's business and branding strategies and tactics were developed, developed hundreds and hundreds of years ago by the military greats. And there are books by Reese and Trout on marketing warfare. And so so anybody in that industry will know that it comes from the military. What I'm curious to know is from your experience on the front lines, Green Beret, Special Forces, mixing with guys from different areas, from the Coast Guard to the SEALs, you're, you're in that world. Do you actually spend time to take those strategies and tactics into the business world. For example, there's a great video that I saw. There's, I mean, you and maybe eight or 10 other guys all in the Black Rifle Coffee merch with handguns who then shoot the crap out of a barrel. And on the barrel's written, 
hipster coffee. Starbucks came out and said, we're going to employ this many thousand people. You then counter by saying, we're going to employ 10,000 vets. Do you consciously understand flanking frontal attack and you deploy that into the business or are you doing it because it's just the right thing and it's a bit of fun to shoot the shit out of a barrel? Uh, I think you're, you think you're, you're, you're right on both accounts. Uh, uh, My, my adult life and probably a, a huge percentage of my brain development was really solidified and, uh, in, you know, training for war or war. So inherently it's, it's what I would call your, 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 your somewhat unconsciously competent at a few of those tasks. Right. So when, when you're looking at your environment and making decisions, uh, you're going to make some of those decisions without thinking because you're unconsciously competent at them. And, so the the premise of this is to have a you know strategic goals or you know your 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 strategy and then your goals and then kind of your initiatives that flow into that um and then how you execute those you should be having fun doing them so uh i would say you're twofold right which is yes i i am very consciously and unconsciously competent at those things uh and then the other aspect would be you you have to have fun doing them because if you're not, uh, it takes away from my 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 overall mission statement as an individual, which is to live a happy and fulfilling life, right? So if I'm just you know working in the salt mine, so to speak, well, dude, I don't want to get to the end of my days and think about all the things I could have done that would have been more fun, geez, that would have been, that would be, you know, a horrible couple last minutes. Um, So I think that if you combine those two things, there's just no reason why I love to work. It's super fun for me. Like I love it, but there are things that can enhance that and take away. So, you know, I really just try to, to think about that from that aspect, which is I love to work. It's really fun for me. Let's go have more fun as we work and we'll continue to grow a company and an ecosystem in the right direction and attract other people that want to do the same things with us. Do you know, Evan, it's such a privilege to spend time with you. I honestly have got on the page of questions. I could I could speak to you for two hours and not get to the bottom of my page because there's so much I find interesting about you, your background and the organization, the way you guys have put it together, the way you're doing things. However, I'm very mindful of your time. I've left 60 seconds to hand to the portly Tim Tam eating producer to my right to ask you the, the big question of, yeah. I think I've sufficiently warmed up. I think I've, I've worn down the Green Beret. It's time for the big question, Robbo. Close this out. I think so, yeah. Be- before, before we do get to the big question, I just have to say, since we're wrapping this interview up, that uh, sailors have a perfect storm. And I'm sure in the military service, you have a saying for the perfect mission. On the Mojo Radio Show, we have the perfect interview and it involves coffee and valuable learnings. And I can say, in all reality, in all honesty, this is just the second of such interviews we've had in six seasons. So firstly, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, that's, a, that's an incredible compliment. Uh, and secondly, uh, when, you, uh, when you drag your ass out of bed in the morning and sort of your mojo's not going, you're really not feeling, you know, 100%. The brain's not going. We're not right to get into the day. What is the tune that you reach for on Spotify, 
on the phone, on the radio to get your mojo pumping for the day? Oh man. Um, wow. I, I don't listen to, like that. This is going to be a really <laughs> crappy answer, but I would have to invent something if that was the right, right thing. Like I don't use, I don't use music to get fired up. And, um, what I use is I have a, I have an ongoing list of things that I, that I, that I have to get done. Right. And it's across the board in different departments and divisions. And I always go back to like the things that like, I just love doing that inspire me that require a, a massive amounts of thought. Like I've got to think through this, but I'm super fired up about thinking about it. And so when I think when I'm just driving myself out of bed and dragging, what I always do is first thing I do is I drink about a half a gallon of water, get my face out in the sun, and then I start walking and thinking, and then eventually I pop out of it. Uh, and that's typically how like my morning goes if I'm really you know demotivated. I've got to get water. I've got to get a walk. And when I say walk, walks typically turn into workouts for me. But I get fired up by thinking about super complex problems. The other things that I like to do is I force myself to do a lot of math problems, which is <laughs> fucking really weird for a lot of people. I apologize. But it breaks me it breaks me out of a mental funk, man. It it just breaks me out of a funk. And then if I turn to music, um, that kind of gets me moving. I, I don't know, man. I, I kind of have Spotify. I listen to a podcast a lot, which are, you know, voice driven. But, you know, I, I think right now I'm kind of into um, Machine Gun Kelly is what I'm listening to right now. He's a he's like a new new rapper. So I think Machine Gun Kelly is kind of a, the new guy that I'm, I'm listening to right now. But that's typically later in the day. I think that's possibly one of the best answers we've ever had to that question, I've got to be honest. Well, I think it's the second best because we had a previous guest, uh, M. Best from Texas, who actually yeah. grabbed his guitar and started playing his favourite song, oh, we which did? we've never had before, oh, so that bad, was pretty bad. awesome. It was badass. He, he's on a promise for a duet with me when he's in Australia next. Yes, and uh, actually that, that particular lister sent us a note and the note was, could you ask Evan why he is such a short, angry hipster? Um, but we won't, uh, we won't spend any more. We won't take any more of your time. We'll, we'll keep that question from our listener for the next time. So funny short story before I go, guys, I apologize. Funny short story, which is, so I spent about six months of my life with a bunch of uh, Australian SAS guys in Baghdad. And they were some of the, funnest, coolest dudes I've ever worked with in my life. And like the things that I, I love about them is, is, you know, obviously the accent's super funny and cool, but, uh, they were some of the most proficient professional guys I'd ever been around. And on top of that, they would use things like, you know, Bob's your uncle, which I had no <laughs> idea what, what that meant. Uh, uh so, <laughs> So my hat's off to you. I'm a fan of I'm a fan of the Australian culture. I'm a fan of you guys down there, and my my interaction with Australians has always been super positive. So 
So one of these days I'll have to try to get John. Did you learn the term as dry as a dead dingo's donger? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> like, I don't know what like, I'm sure you just made that. No, 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 it's, no, it's no, no. Dry as a dead dingo's donger. So a dingo is a wild dog. Yeah. Um, and, and if you're dry and thirsty, then you're as dry as a dead dingo's donger, which is a donger is fairly obvious what that may be. So, um, so yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Evan, with your story and you hold the Australian military in very high esteem, have we lowered the bar somewhat for you? No way. You guys, you guys have <laughs> lived up to it. It's, it's been a great interview. You guys have done a, a – I mean, this has been one of my top interviews, if not my top interview. Oh, so you. I appreciate awesome. it a lot. Well, we, uh, we've got an open invitation for all of you guys to come down under. Uh, when you do, we will set up a studio at Bondi Beach on the beach. We'll interview you live there yeah. and we will have brew. We'll have beach babes. Sun. Uh, <laughs> Don't make too many promises. <laughs> how can you go? How can you can't go wrong at Bondi? Let's face it. That, that's going to be there. We're just turning up as long as we don't scare them away. If we can get if we can get beach babes for an outside broadcast, why can't we get beach babes in the studio every week? <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and not blow up ones. This sounds like a special occasion that needs to be repeated <laughs> weekly. That's right. I agree. Exactly. Evan, um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time, mate. It's a true honour. I am a massive fan of what you're doing. I love it. I talk about it a lot to people to say, look, just go online, check these guys out, watch the videos, look at their website, listen to podcasts because you guys are putting rubber on the road. Like you actually are walking the talk. You're being of service. Thank you for your service. Thank you for being of service to our listeners, for sharing it, being a really top bloke. And um, I do hope we can, you know, connect in some way again, somewhere down the track, because it'd be a true honor again. Same, same here, fellas. I really appreciate it. It's been, it's been awesome. I'll be sure to look you guys up when I get down there. What kind of music do you usually have here? Oh, we got both kinds. We got country and western. Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Super Rocktober, super fans. We've got a few of them. Jason Spall is a particularly good one <laughs> and a particularly good uh, steak eater and beer drinker, oh, if memory serves me correctly. He's, he's good on the tooth. Eh? <laughs> he's not bad on the tooth. <laughs> Can put away a T-bone. That's right, absolutely. Can eat, can drink. And the reason we know that is because... As a super fan, we had a dinner for our a competition yeah. to win dinner with the Mojo Radio Show, which we recorded, and Jace was the big man, <laughs> had a few beers and a steak with us. They did indeed, and more than, more than one steak, just quietly. Um, the note reads, uh, we set out to build the number one asbestos removal business on the Gold Coast. Tonight, we got a little closer by taking out the best emerging business in the Gold Coast Business Excellence Awards for September. Isn't that great? And what it's a, it's a, when we talk about stuff on this show, I just think it's nice when people actually sit down to say, well, what do I want? What is our dream? Mm. In whatever, and you don't even have to tell anybody, as long as you know it in your mind. And then once you've got that dream, you start taking the steps to execute. And people get caught up in the grey zone where they have no clue where they're going because they're caught up in just doing stuff every day. But Jace is good because we've had a bit of contact with Jace. He sat down. He knew what his dream was. He knew what he set the target. It was a stretch target. But he gets after it. And uh, it's a good story. Yeah, it's great. Good on you, Jace. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. Because it's Rocktober and our guest wanted to create great coffee for the working man, I've got one for the working person. And 
I'll set this up for 60 seconds. A listener of the show, whose name is Evo, wrote to me during the week and said, I was racing my Ducati on a racetrack, came into turn two, lost front brakes, locked up my rear brakes and went screaming into a wall at 180 kilometres an hour. And he's writing to you? Showed me the GoPro footage of it, which is horrific. Then showed me a bunch of stills of the chopper four emergency response vehicles and some (laughs) paramedics and police cars surrounding him as he got choppered to one of our big hospitals. Anyway, I then spoke to him on the phone and one of the things we talked about was the nursing staff, male or female in hospitals. And I just want to say during Rocktober to all the nursing staff who work 24-7, who put up with the conditions they put up with, man, and, and, and this guy was just full of praise for the team that basically, I mean, he's alive, which is great, and he's pretty banged up. But um, you know what I mean? They get forgotten, don't they? They do. It's sort of the people that get out there every day and do what they do and do it so well, yet they don't really get the recognition they deserve. And you're absolutely right. You could put about half a dozen um, occupations into that category for sure. Are you the police? No, ma'am. We're musicians. Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Okay, so Rocktober is full of features and it would be remiss of us not to do an unplugged, which is what we used to call it back in the day. Do you have a cool acoustic track that we could drop into Rocktober? I do have one. Uh, It's not only a good one, but it's also a memorable one for me. Back in the days working at the M's, we used to have bands come in fairly regularly and record acoustic versions of their hits. And one of such bands was Matchbox 20, who came in and recorded three or four songs. And um, the nice thing about this one for me was not just the fact that it's actually a recording I'm really proud of. The really nice thing is that my boss, the program director, received an email from the record rep uh, not long after the band had left the building saying um, that in during while they were talking in the car on the way to the next interview, the band had said how impressed they were that a radio station could be so professional in both the recording and the setup for an acoustic set. So that was always became my benchmark then was, um, okay, is this going to be as good as Matchbox 20? Best play it. Yeah. yeah. Sitting by the overcoat, the second shelf, the notes she wrote that I can't bring myself to throw away. Well, also reach, she said, for no one else but you, because you won't turn away when someone else is gone. Well, I'm sorry about the attitude I need to give when I'm with you, but no one else will take this shit from me. Well, I'm so terrified of no one else but me, but I'm here all the time, so I won't go away. Yeah, it's me. Yeah, well, I can't get myself to go away. Yeah. Well, it's me Well, I can't get myself to go away Oh, God, I shouldn't feel this way, no Reach down your hand in your pocket And pull out some hope for me It's been a long day Always, well, ain't that right? No, Lord, your hand won't stop it Just keep you trembling It's been a long day Always, well, ain't that right? 
surprised if you believe in anything that comes from me. I didn't hear from you when I'm someone else. Well, you're so setting life, man, up because they're waiting too damn bad to get so far so fast. So what's so long? So reach down your hand in your pocket and pull out some hope for me. It's been a long day. Always, well, ain't that right? No, Lord, your hand won't stop it. It just keep you trembling. It's been a long day. Always, well, ain't that right? Hell, well, ain't that right? me Yeah, well, I can't get myself to go away Yeah, yeah Well, it's me Yeah, well, I can't get myself to go away Oh, God, I shouldn't feel this away No, reach down your hand in your pocket Pull out some hope for me It's been a long day Always, well, ain't that right No, Lord, your hand won't stop it Keep you trampling It's been a long day Always Well, ain't that right Right Yeah, well, say Reach down your hand In your pocket Well, reach down your hand Right now It's been a long day Always Ain't that right Reach down your hand In your pocket Well, reach down your hand Right now It's been a long day Always Ain't The Mojo Radio Show. All right, swag time. Swag, nice. This swag has been developed based on requests. So this is totally requests from listeners who have asked for these things. Mm. And the first one, and I don't know anyone's done this, but I have seen this thing and it is super cool. We've taken our favourite bits of gold from the last, I don't know, what, year or so, I guess, and we've drawn it into a giant poster with cool graphics, which you can download for free. And if you choose to, it will blow up to 1.25 metres by 0.7 of a metre. So it's a big wall chart if you want to. (laughs) Now, all the Patreon crew we've got, we'll send it to you. Everybody else can get it for free at our website, themojoradioshow.com. And I guess you could download this thing and use it as a screensaver or a poster or a wall post if your office or staff canteen, or maybe send it to a friend who needs to get on board and get their mojo working and maybe make it as a gift. So it's there for free and it's done by a mate of the show, a former guest. Do you remember Guy Downs? Of course I remember Guy Downs. His artwork is amazing. Hmm. Guy Downs from Office Guy Cartoons is the guy who helps you think and talk about business, but he uses cartoons. Now, Mm. I've done, I've met Guy doing speaking jobs where quite often you'll be on stage and then off stage will be this guy with these massive white walls and he's basically drawing a canvas, which is your key messages with a graphic. 
And I've done a few jobs with Guy. His stuff is amazing. And why it's really beneficial is that people learn primarily, most of us learn visually. So it's all very well to go on stage and do a 200-word PowerPoint presentation, which most of the audience is sleeping through. When you've got really cool graphics, it does help embed the message. So I rang Guy, former guest, and said, you know how you're normally doing with PowerPoint presentations and newsletters and documents and all that sort of stuff? How about if I gave you, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 bits of gold off the studio wall, talk to AP, Lola, Robbo, what if we just got together our favourite short tweet type things, could you do me a poster? And he's done that. And Guy Downs is from officeguycartoons.com. I'll put a link to his stuff in the show notes, but it is super cool. You can get it now for free. Just jump on the website and uh, download it. You know, uh, we could have saved Guy a heap of time and you a heap of grief. You know, the the wall, that wall right there next to you on your right-hand side, the post-it note wall with all the quotes on it, we could have just taken a photo of that and stuck it up. <laughs> all the post-it notes. Uh, maybe it's an idea. Maybe we should, as a spin-off, start a wallpaper company and just call it Wallpaper Gold. gold. And just wallpaper and, we, gold. and what we do is we just, just scribble on the wall, take a photo of it, and then we just enlarge it and just sell it as the... And you know what we could do? We could scare people because, like, every third sheet, you know how there's, like, sheets of wallpaper that run down the wall? Every third sheet could be a photo of you or me or AP or Lola or Lofty or someone. No, you know what really annoy people is every third sheet doesn't match up. doesn't matter how you do it. <laughs> you just, it just doesn't... It never matches up. That would just, uh, be, that would just piss people that's off. so anyway, mojo. Second bit of swag, and this is certainly a request, and I have had a number of requests on socials and emailed to me saying, can you guys do a list or a playlist of the gold that your guests have said, if there's a song to get your mojo working, what would it be? And you have actually done it. I have done it. I've done uh, a whole bunch of the ones some of our guests have mentioned, and I've also thrown in a few favourites from AP and Lola and everybody else in the studio. So it's a bit of a mojo mashup, I guess. Where do they find it? Uh, there's two ways you can find it. You can go to the mojoradioshow.com uh, and go to the Rocktober page. You'll find it there. Or if you go to our Facebook page, I will pin it to the very top. So if you go to the Mojo Radio Show on Facebook, just scroll down an inch or two and you'll find it there. It'll be at the very top. We are on Facebook. We are on Facebook, indeed. Bugger me. I was surprised too. (laughs) All right. It's tea time. It's time for Mr. T. What you doing? Stop your jib jabbering, fool. Lola, roll tape, sucker. I'm looking at you with, I don't know, $10 million worth of diamonds and gold and everything, and then I'm looking at your shoes that are just a disaster. Now, will you explain to me what's with these shoes all taped up looking tacky? You see, well, to some people they might say it's tacky, but there's a message in these shoes. You see, uh, these shoes keep me humble. If uh, you recall, last time that we met, I had these shoes. They weren't in that bad of a shape, you know. But these shoes are handed down through my family. My father wore them, my brothers wore them, and things like that. So they keep me humble, keep me and let me remember that I have a brother and sisters back in Chicago not doing too well. I got mother and father that I must take care of. So you see, out in Hollywood, and especially all the money that I'm making now, it's so easy for me to get caught up in all these material stuff and forget where I'm coming from. So wherever I'm be, whether I'm with a governor or a mayor or a reception or whatever, I look down at my shoes and let me know, hey, I can't get too carried away here. So it keeps me level. As I say, I want to keep my feet on the ground and my head toward heaven. So what I like about that clip 
which people can find on it was on LinkedIn, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was on LinkedIn. So I'll also stick that on our Facebook page then. What I liked about that is it tied back to a former guest of ours, which I think probably was one of our fa- it, certainly in our top ten, if not our top five shows of the last year. It was with a guy called James Kerr, who wrote a book called Legacy, and Mister T's philosophy of his shoes and keep your feet on the ground reminded me of a story that James Kerr told us when he was on the show talking about the All Blacks. Dan Carter was the fly half for the All Blacks for many years. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the rugby guy. Wasn't he one of the record point scorers or something for the All Blacks? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, he's close to the top, if not the all-time highest point, point scorer, yes. And they called him the perfect 10 because he was seen and recognised as being probably the perfect fly half, if not one of the great rugby players of all time. And remember that story James told about there was some guys who walk up to Dan Carter when he was practising his kicking and kick his foot. Yes. And Dan Carter <laughs> thought nothing of it. And then yeah. the next training session, guy came up and just kicked his boot. Yeah. And then he kept on doing it and Dan Carter eventually said, what are you doing? Why, why do you keep kicking me in the boot? And he said, because I want to make sure that you keep your feet on the ground. And – it's, it, just, it was such a beautiful piece and I, I love the fact that Mr. T, take away the bling, take away the stardom, recognised everywhere he goes, but he's got that as Todd Herman who wrote The Alter Ego Effect, he's got that totem. But every time he looks down or wakes up in the morning, goes to bed at night, he takes those shoes off, it keeps him humble. That is just such a great piece for our, especially for the boys at the footy club, but it's such a great piece for us all to remember. No matter how much success you have, humility is, well, it would be fair to say over the last couple of years, whenever anybody comes in who has been led by a great leader, humility would be, if not the number one attribute in the top three attributes of great leadership, wouldn't you reckon? Oh, absolutely. And not just people who have been led by other people. I think, you know, some of the, well, all of the great people that we speak to on this show are extremely humble. I think that's one of the earliest things I took out of this show. Absolutely. That was tea time. Tea time. (laughs) Now it's coffee time. 106 miles to Chicago. We've got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. So first week of Rocktober, I reckon it's producer's choice this week. Go. Uh, at the head of the show, you talked about Rocktober and the history of Rocktober and what it's meant to us over the years. So I reckon a good way to play out would be a bit of classic Aussie rock, definitely. Um, but considering we're an international show, we need to have a bit of an international flavour. So I'm thinking ACDC... And I'm thinking rock and roll ain't noise pollution. We're out. Hey now, you middlemen! Throw away your fancy clothes! And why are you out there sitting on the fence? So get out of your house and come down here! Cause rock and roll ain't no middleman! To me, it makes good, good sense! Good sense! Let's go. 
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com. And to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.